This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Colors podcast. We are just a few days away from East Carolina and North Carolina State, Saturday, 12 noon Eastern inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. It's our final pregame podcast of the week, and I'm really excited about this. I'm, of course, I'm Stephen Igo, publisher of Hoist the Colors, but I got two guys who know football extremely well on this podcast. Joining me, we got Brett Hickman, as always, Coach Hickman now uh, doing his thing. Brett, going back to the college ranks, we'll have more information on that uh, in the coming weeks. And we also have Jason Tindall, former high school coach as well in the state of North Carolina. So we got two coaches who know a lot more ball than me. I'm going to kind of moderate this thing, guys. You can weigh in uh, as we as we go forward. Uh, but we'll start just with the overall excitement. Both of you guys uh, obviously have ties to ECU. So what's it like being a part of uh, of game week once again, ready to uh, to kick this thing off? Brett, we'll start with you. Uh, just thrilled that we're back, you know, excited to be able to get to work and have another year here on HCC. And, uh, you know, I think it's my third year kind of working with you, Stephen, and to, to kind of see the growth and progression of the program. Been very excited, you know, since Coach Houston um, – came back honestly because i've had a chance to coach against him follow his career um both at lenore ryan and the citadel and certainly know a lot of those guys on the staff so um as he's progressed you know it's it's you know the the traffic on your website and the interaction with the fans has been a lot of fun and i think we're anticipating a, a another good year i know we we've talked about baselines and season predictions and everything but um tell you what it's schedules full of you know potholes and bumps and good opponents so um and that starts on saturday and and you know just kind of growing up an east carolina fan i think my general thought is anytime you welcome um i go back to 1999 and, and being in that stadium the first time state came to greenville um you know how you know, it's one thing to welcome virginia tech and west virginia and some of these south carolina last year to welcome these power five programs but uh, there's a lot of people who fought long and hard in the in the 70s and the 80s to get 
um, you know, both state and Carolina to come to Greenville. And, uh, you know, luckily this has not been something that's been rare over the course of the last uh, 20 years. I think this is state's fifth trip. So uh, I think it says a lot that, that their administration is still willing to come here and, and they'll, they're coming into a hornet's nest on, on Saturday night, which or Saturday afternoon, which coach Dorn mentioned, and it'll be a great environment for college football and a, and a great, you know, picture of, of what East Carolina football um, and that environment at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium can be about. Jason, Brett summed it up pretty well, but uh, your, your thoughts on this opening matchup, man. You ready to go? Yeah, how do I follow that up? Because he, he hit on all the, the key points. Um, it's just great to have game week back. And, you know, I've been waiting for this since, uh, you know, turning around in, in Annapolis and driving home. And, and it's special having NC State come in because we know what the rivalry is, as Brett mentioned, and and uh, you know all the years of uh, wanting to have that continued uh, cadence of playing them and have them open up their season in Dowdy Ficklin at twelve o'clock again on an ESPN national game when they're rated so high, you, you just know it, the the atmosphere there is going to be unbelievable. So I'm just super excited to see how we play, and and honestly, it. it you know, two years ago, I wouldn't be as eager for this game just to be candid with everybody on, on who listens to the pod. But uh, we, we've got a pretty daggone good team, you know, and there's a lot of guys who are coming into their own and they've cut their teeth now for three or four, four years and they, they've lived with Big John. So I'd love to see how we match up with them. I mean, it's a formidable opponent, opponent just to think because they're one and four in our stadium. You know, the casual fan might think, hey, this is this is going to be another ECU big win. We've got to play some of our best big boy ball to have a chance to win this game on Saturday. So just excited to see how the team's progressed. Yeah, it's a, it's probably – I think it has to be the best NC State team that's ever visited Greenville uh, for sure. And we'll get into some of the matchup side of things now, guys. And, and you know, uh, we're going to try and do this every now and then, probably not before every game because we all are, are busy in our own lives. Brett is in the middle of moving right now. Uh, Jason always traveling for work, staying busy. So we'll see how often we can do something like this throughout the season. But I uh, wanted to really dive into some of the X's and O's and, and kind of break down some key matchups. And we'll start first with the East Carolina offense against this vaunted NC State defense. Ten returning starters. Uh, Tony Gibson back as the defensive coordinator, of course, has you know, done it for years at West Virginia previously, now at NC State under Dave Doran. They run the three-three-five defense. We'll start first with Brett. Um, you know, when you look at this defense, Donnie Kirkpatrick kind of talked about it today in his post-practice press conference. He says it's similar in some respects to what ECU does under Blake Carroll because it's so multiple. But there, you know, there are obviously some different concepts. Just what's the biggest challenge of facing a three-three-five uh, defense that NC State employs? Yeah, I think. <laughs> That there's variations that have, of course, broken off over the course of the last 20 years. But uh, Tony Gibson, really, you know, he was at the crux or the birth of this defense with, you know, Rich Rodriguez and Jeff Castile when they were running it at West Virginia when they first got to the Big East. And that was the first time I remember, you know, it making it um, on the big-time stage in college football. So, honestly, when I watched State, play i mean i can remember west virginia running a lot of these same concepts when we were playing them you know way back 15 16 years ago when i was at ecu from uh 2006 to 2008 so 
uh, he's a purist. Now, a lot of the concepts have been broken off and, and it's been, you know, you can run the, the system as a pressure-based system like, like Blake does or like Rocky Long did at Mississippi or uh, San Diego State and, you know, uh, Mississippi State's now doing it, Syracuse is doing it. Or then, you know, what we saw from Iowa State and Tulsa, you know, those guys are three three five as well, but that's more of a broken stack, you know, true three high safety deal. Uh, but you know, this is the old school and, and the benefits of the three the three three five are you know, you get the benefits of not having to recruit four down linemen, you know, so you you know, you're you're recruiting less D linemen, but you do um, your linebackers really get to play in that four, three mindset, you know, they're covered up and, and you typically have a guy stacked behind that center who can really, he hardly ever gets blocked. And, uh, you know, where I think state's done a really good job is th that defense is most vulnerable in my opinion, to the, to the C gaps and, you know, to the D gaps out in, in the area, but they've got erasers out there and they've got guys who can, you know, really hunt down plays, and then the answers are always going to be your your defense. You know, let's add an extra guy in the gap, whether or not that's a tight end, whether or not it's two tight ends. With Todd Fitch, we always had uh, great success against West Virginia. You know, going twelve personnel and running the football, and we were very good on the offensive line um, at that time period. But you know, they've got guys who can erase it, even though you might have an answer on the grease board. You know, Peyton Wilson. Um, What's the other Thomas? I get the brothers Drake. mixed up. But yeah, Drake. Drake, Drake, and then Thayer's the receiver. But, uh, you know, they've got erasers there, and they've got a good Mike backer, and, and they're obviously formable in their front seven. So uh, it's a good, solid scheme that really accentuates the, the high-end talent that they have on their roster, which, in my opinion, is the linebacker position. Jason, when you look at those linebackers, I mean, it's it's tough to find guys who stop the run and can cover the pass and rush the passer. And it seems like, you know, Drake Thomas, I got some of the pro football focus grades from last year pulled up, you know, and he was their highest graded defensive player, played 758 snaps, which was the second most on the defense behind safety. Tanner Engel, Peyton Wilson missed last year with an injury, but he's coming back uh, as kind of that outside linebacker who can do some pass rush and, other things, Isaiah Moore, another veteran guy. When you look at that position, if you're an offensive coach, like how much does that challenge what your game plan is just because of the, the versatility of those guys? Or, do, you know, do you still have to just call your game? You, you look at it from a different their, – their body type. So, first of all, Peyton Wilson's all of 6'4", not a little bit taller. And he's, he's a true 235-pound athlete, and he's disruptive because that length with the size so he can – he can be a dude in a run game. He can also drop into coverage. If I remember correct, in 2019, he he calls as a younger player before he got hurt, injured, he, he caused a lot of problems for us in that game as well. And they had another guy who looked a lot like him who's not there now. He graduated out. And then you've got uh, Drake Thomas. He, he, he reminds me of another Thomas. Remember Zach Thomas, who played for the Dolphins and played at Texas Tech. He's just, you know, he's six foot, six one. He's probably really six foot, but he's just all over the field. Is always in position and doesn't miss tackles, and just a player. And then having um, more back in the middle is only going to help them. You know, you just wonder how. You know, they say uh, you know some to the people from uh, Pack Pride and the, my buddies who've gone out and watched practice. They said they're they're all completely healed and healthy, but you have to wonder about that. I think the big key is too is can we handle. Uh, the man in the middle, the nose guard, the zero technique. And if we can, if Avery and the guards can work together and communicate against that stack, uh, 
we'll have a chance. Like Brett says, C gap is the vulnerability. I know that because we ran that my last two years as high school coach. We ran a true three, three stack. Um, what it does do is allow your guys up front. They're a little bigger, obviously, than we were, but we moved a lot out of that odd looking front, but you still have, like Brett said, you had that four, three looking middle linebacker who it's hard to get to them just based on the angles and the center typically being covered up 99% of the time. I think like what Jason's saying is a great point. It's like you when you work zone schemes, whether or not it's inside or outside zone, the combo with the center and whichever guard he's helping with, you know, you're so used to kind of trying to displace that nose tackle on a 45-degree angle on the way to the play side inside linebacker. But when, when that linebacker is stacked right behind the nose tackle, it's really hard to get – I mean, because your eyes you, – you're just not going to get as much vertical displacement because uh, that backer shows up so quick outside of the double team, you know, which means it, to me, it's just a, it's a more vertical combo, you know, which means you got to kind of peek outside of it, which makes it a little bit easier double team to slip out of if I'm the defensive lineman. Um, you know, I've always per, I've always tried to keep some stack elements, particularly if you've got a great player at Mike linebacker, um, you know, because he can pretty much play free um, if your centers and guards don't do their jobs. I, I remember Todd Fitch always talking about that's why it was so much easier to almost uh, play with a tight end 100% of the time and get in a game um, – where you were running gap schemes, counters, and powers to where now you could take a tackle and a tight end combination and you could work up to that mic instead of centers and guards having to do it because the angles work out better that way. So it'll be interesting to see if we go back to some of the things we did two years ago where we had some success, which was the counter game and the pin pull game uh, with a tight end to try and to try and neutralize that stack in the middle between the nose. Now you now you're able to keep the center and the guard on a nose, and they they can work to that backside linebacker who's stacked over the tackle. And now the tackle and the tight end can work a normal combination over the four technique to the Mike linebacker. So I know that's a that's X's and O's junkie, but one way to alleviate some of the stack issues is to put an extra tight end on the field so that you have a so you get a second combo block instead of just one with a center and a guard. Yeah, I was I was wondering I'm, I might be jumping ahead of you Stephen, but it, something about this game makes me think we'll see a little more of Aaron Jarman than we have in the second half of last year. I just feel like he's got the body type to do what coach Hickman's talking about, put another big body up there who can move and who can actually be athletic and help that front side. So you can work the backside to keep those guys from running through and maybe some of the slants and angles they might do out of that, you know, because that Mike linebacker can run anywhere. He can he can drop into coverage. He can run through either a gap or he can scrape fast based on what they're doing with the front three. And the other pieces, when they walk that nickel down, they can really mess with you on numbers. And so I feel like they'll do less of that because I feel like Holt Nailers will check out of that quick, but they might smoke them down and then move them back into his regular depth. It's just – it's kind of going to be a, I'm excited to watch the first quarter because it's going to, it's going to probably be the a, a lot of cat and mouse between Donnie and, and, and Coach Gibson, you know, what's happening. Yeah, and, and Holden has said throughout this week that he basically they're to the point in his career now and his understanding of the offense where they're calling two plays and they allow him to go up to the line of scrimmage, read the defense, and make the call from there, which I think says a lot 
about Holton's growth in this offense, and it seems like the offense or the offensive staff trusts him in those situations. So we'll we'll, we'll, well see. Well, he's in his ninth year of college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he can't do it by now, then uh, he'll did, never did, do it. Didn't he back up Marcus Crandall for a couple years before he got a shot? Right. Yeah. No. And that that's the thing is like the the chess match between him and he says he's been watching NC State. All offseason, we know that NC State's going to come out probably with some new wrinkles, just like ECU will. So we'll see that probably in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, the chess match will be great. We talked about the nose guard. You know, Corey Durden listed at six four three ten, going against Avery Jones. He's a Florida State transfer, had a good year last year. Uh, that'll be a key matchup to watch because Avery, at times, as athletic as he is, can struggle. Like Steve Shankwater said, against bigger nose guards right in his face, like most you know centers do. Um, guys, let's talk about the, just the running game overall. Like Brett, you've broken down this this Clemson game. I know it's I know it's giving you nightmares a little bit. Uh, just seeing how much they they dominate the line of scrimmage. You know, you guys discussed the C gap vulnerability maybe against this defense. Does Keaton Mitchell's speed does that give ECU a potential edge at all as far as getting to the edge, or, or is that still negated due to the just the difference maybe in talent and size up front? I don't know. I mean, the scheme, the X's and O's, that's where the vulnerability is. But like I mentioned, I mean, State's just got really good players, you know, that they're going to put. And, and Jason mentioned it again. You know, there's enough in the toolbox from what they do schematically where Tony knows the vulnerabilities. So he's got the counter to the counter, if that makes sense. So, you know, do you, do you, if State feels like they've got to load the front, Either, you know, when we're in 10 personnel, if they feel like they've got to put seven in the box, if we're in 11 personnel, if they feel like they've got to put seven or eight in the box, or if we're in 12, they've got to get eight or nine in the box, then I think that's good, you know, because that that means we feel like we can run the football. But uh, I just don't see a situation where where they feel like they're going to have to do that. I mean, we're going to have to prove early in the game that we can run the football effectively on them. and, and block a hat for a hat and get him loose. But, you know, he's got the answer to the answer if if that does happen. And, you know, any good defensive coordinator, I don't care if it's high school all the way to the National Football League, if you're not stopping the run, uh, then you're going to figure out a way to do that. And then, to me, the answer becomes, can the answer is to load the front and play man coverage behind it. And then can the receivers and the tight ends get off and make plays uh, whenever – inevitably that happens and Jason looking to you know if you're NC State you go into this game you say Keaton Mitchell can't beat us Uh, you say Rajah Harris can't get into a rhythm you probably prioritize CJ Johnson and Ryan Jones in the receiving game like I just feel like Isaiah Winstead Jalen Johnson somebody's gonna have to make some plays on -on one-on-one situations early to kind of maybe change their defensive game plan like if you're a coach that seems to be how you would approach it right yeah, it, it is. And, and I believe I've got a good friend who coached with me, but he also coached high school football for about 10 years before he came on my staff uh, at the end. And um, he, he's a, high, a big donor and he's been out to practice. And he said that he still feels like, you know, that that between the hash and the number towards the boundary on the edges is, is a chance to have some plays. But I mean, if you look at who they've got back there at corner, they've got Shaheen Battle, who we both know, we all three know, can can, can make plays. He's recruited by East Carolina. Um, their safeties, uh, you know, 
they're just they're just really good players. One of them's a, a draft pick type who plays that nickel safety type position. I think in the end of the day is can we get the right personnel on the field and get them in the right configuration, whether it's the box or the back end, and Holton can actually pick up the play that's going to work. Um, you know, the other piece that I feel like gave us problems when we were running a 3-3 stack was if there was a a threat of a run game. So think about Rajay Keaton on, on the zone looks, whether it's inside zone, outside zone, stretch zone. Yeah. If Holton can pull it, and, and get past one of those dudes at defensive end and he's getting they're getting any leakage from the backside hang player who's you know, poking their head in there because they're keeping it such a threat you know we could get some cheap yards that way um but i still feel like it's gonna come back to the tight ends can what how do we use our tight ends and can we you know have that threat of running the ball on, on second mediums things like that i think first down is gonna be a headbutton contest if we sit up and try to just run at them in the box it's gonna be tough yeah, I think I wrote today on an answer to somebody. I said, I don't think I would have a run play called that didn't have either a QB run element attached mm -hmm. to it, pulling the ball on the backside of zone read, whatever, quarterback draw, whatever, um, or or an RPO element where you could whip out there a bubble screen or, um, you know, the, the slot glance or whatever the case is or the, the stick route or whatever. So, you know, the, the ability to, to truly – go into this game without locking yourself into this plays a handoff or a handoff, you know, let's, well, let's, let's use Holton's 12 years of quarterback experience at East Carolina as an advantage and, and put it on him to make the right decisions on whether to pull it and run it for himself or pull it and throw it, or, you know, give it to one of those two backs. I mean, you're always in a catch 22 when, when your best players are your backs, you know, and I think that's the case is like, you don't want to look at the, the box score at the end of a game and a game you lost and Keaton's got eight carries and Rajay's got six. But at the same time, as good as those two guys are, I just don't know if you can just sit there and say, we're going to force feed one of them 15 carries and the other one 15 carries because of that. That's just not the, that's not the recipe to win this game. Yeah. yeah one of my friends asked if, uh, what, what's the, what's the run count for Holton? I just said, do the simple math two, two times, two times a quarter on offense, if, if, if he gets eight runs, that gives us a, in my opinion, and I, granted, I don't have the, the tight copy, the full 11, you know, the 22 copy, all that stuff that the coaches have access to, but it, it allows us to play 11 on 11. And they've yeah. got to have somebody has got to sit and make sure he doesn't break one of those big runs. Because once he gets past one of those linebackers, it's going to be a splash play, you know, if he holds on to the football. Well, guys, good talk about ECU's offense. I think it really, you know, goes without saying they're going to have to win some one-on-one -on -one matchups and get the matchups they want somewhere. Somewhere on the field they got to diagnose where they have an advantage, get Ryan Jones, Shane Calhoun, Isaiah Winstead in a one-on-one -on -one matchup and win that matchup somehow in the passing game. I think they have some success. Let's flip to the offensive side of the football uh, when NC State is on the field, we will go to that on the other side. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, welcome back into the show. We are visiting with Brett Hickman and Jason Tindall, two guys who know the game well. We're breaking down East Carolina, NC State. We just talked about how much of a challenge it'll be when ECU's offense is on the field. Let's flip the the coin, guys. NC State has a Heisman candidate in Devin Leary. I did quotations because that's just uh, what people are saying. I think he is legitimately probably the best quarterback ECU will face this year. Time will tell if he's a Heisman candidate, but 35 touchdowns to five picks last year. Great decision maker, 66% completion. Pocket passer, but really good arm, NFL caliber arm. And I was pulling some numbers from uh, Pro Football Focus earlier, and basically his numbers versus the blitz and versus coverage are about the same. I mean, he's elite versus both. So if you're defensive coordinator Blake Carroll – Jason, we'll start with you. Like, how do you even begin the game plan for this guy? Is it is it just a uh, a case of try to make him make some mistakes because he doesn't seem to make a ton? So the first thing I'm going to do is, granted, again, haven't had a chance to study the film and watch the games. I know Brett had a chance to watch the Clemson game from last year, but uh, the word is Belton, and that's the guy who replaced the first round draft pick of the Panthers at left tackle. So I'm going to make him show me that he can he can hold his own on that side. So I'm going to bring pressures to him first. Um, I'm sure they got some keys based on where the backs are set and things like that. But I, I, we we have to be able to get pressure by somebody in our front four. Somebody's got to be able to win one on one battles there because if we continue to rely on linebackers or you know uh, our drop players to come and, and they get picked up, he's going to pick us apart. It's just bottom line. It, he, he, we got to get him off his launch point, and it cannot just be, you know, bring six or bring seven every single time. Although Blake's going to do that, but he's got to do it smart with coverage and bracket and understanding. Let's not give up the big play with it. Jay or uh, Brett, your your thoughts on how do you approach a guy like Devin Leary? I mean, is there a good approach against a guy that has this much talent? Yeah, I mean, I think you think about it. I, certainly, kind of the flavor of the week from a coaching standpoint in the in this off season and everything defensively to me is either a trickle up from what high schools have to do to negate uh, talent deficiencies, or really, you know, kind of what goes on, particularly on third down as it relates to pressure pressure packages in the NFL. So, I'll be interested to see if. if Blake has really dove in. One of the few things East Carolina hasn't done a lot of under his tenure is what they call sim pressures, which is a way to bring four 
but make it look like you're bringing five. And in a, in a sense, you know, not the, it's 11 on 11 guys. I mean, whatever you say, football is a numbers game. It's a math game. So when I bring three, I can put eight guys in coverage, but I, you know, now I'm playing five on three in the pass rush game. If I bring four, now I'm playing four on five in the pass rush game, but I'm playing seven on five in the, in the coverage game and vice versa. Obviously the more you bring, the harder it is to cover, but the easier it is to get home. Um, you know, one thing that I've thought of is is sim pressures on third down, sim, S-I-M, not send, S-I-M, to where we might look like we're showing these five- and six-man patterns that we've been bringing over the last couple of years, but maybe put Belton, that left tackle, in a situation where it looks like that end's coming, but no, here comes the linebacker in the big gap, and we drop that end out. Something, you know, something as simple as that where you can keep seven in coverage, but you bring four. Uh, that's been a flavor of the kind of the week in coaching over the past couple of years that I don't know if ECU's really dove into that I think might help us. Um, but, you know, as analytics driven as things get right now, I don't think you can bank on, uh, you know, constantly getting home on third down and third and long. You got to win first down. You know, that to me is the biggest key to this game defensively. And that starts with stopping the run and being able to play well against their controlled passing game, what they throw in the short and the intermediate game. Because if that guy's sitting back there on second and four and third and two all game, uh, number one, they've got guys who can run by you defensive or in at wide receiver. And they've got guys who can control the middle of the field at receiver, whether or not it's Thomas or you know, their tight ends or whatever the case is. But on third and 10, I can get a little bit more creative. And not to mention you start bringing in the element of crowd noise or whatever it is. So State did not run the football very well last year. And they've gotten uh, progressively – this is not the right way to say this, but I'll just go ahead and say it. They've gotten progressively worse uh, since me and Jason's boy left, coaching the O-line a few years ago since Dwayne Ledford left. They've not been as good on the offensive line. Uh, I know they had the big draft pick, but they've not been able to run the football the way they did, uh, you know, three or four years ago in Doran's tenure. So, um, you know, if you stop the run and get them into some disadvantageous situations on third down, that's when you get your turnovers. That's when you get your sacks. But if, if they can run the football – uh, it's going to be a bad day for East Carolina because that guy's good back there. And they've, they've got a guy tight end to Trent Pennick. Speaking of Dwayne Ledford, who what Trent was from Sanderson high school and he was a running back for three years at NC state and a dang good one. And now he's a six, three, 230 pound tight end. It sounds a lot like ours and Ryan Jones and he can hurt you in the middle. Yeah. I mean, you guys talk about Anthony Belton and I'm looking at the numbers he's played. Uh, he played 11 snaps last year and look, the guys, I'm sure he has talent. And he's a big boy. I remember when ECU, I think it was first or second to offer him out of JUCO, uh, Georgia military. He ended up going to NC State. But, I mean, you're talking about a first-round left tackle going to a guy who hasn't really played at this level before on the road. I think you got. I think you have to test him early. I'm sure NC State will try and protect him. But, you know, their offensive line, as good as the rest of their program has developed, you know, their offensive line depth talking to their guys is still a bit of a question mark. And – you know, I think Jordan Houston is a fine running back. I don't think he is Ricky Person or Bam Knights. So I, I don't think their running game is elite. And, you know, talking to their guys, like Devin Leary was so good last year, he kind of bailed them out in those third and long situations. But 
you look at ECU's success last year, yeah, they gave up some big plays. They allowed some yardage. But on third downs, they were, what, top ten nationally and getting off the field. So I almost feel like, you know, Blake Carroll's got to feel pretty good about if they win first and second down and put yourselves in those situations. But then you got Leary who can bail you out. So just I'm curious of those chess matches when they get in those third and longs. You know, how, what is that What is that battle like in the mind of Blake Carroll versus, like, do we really want to bring pressure here or do we drop back into coverage? Because it felt like, from my perspective, guys, watching the games at the end of last year, they did start to play more coverage in those situations versus blitzing. Did you notice the same, Brett? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, I think some of it came with, um, you know, Jeremy became a little bit more effective as a pass rusher coming off the edge or – uh, getting into some sub packages where you might not be as heavy up front, you get a little bit lighter and you bring in a, uh, you know, Jeremy or Stringer or, you know, whatever the case was in a, in a sub package where you can come off the edge or, uh, you know, that being said, you're, you're facing a different animal back there, um, that quarterback, you know, let's just let's call it what it is. He's better than what we saw against Memphis or Tulane or, um, you know, he and obviously Cincinnati had an NFL quarterback back there, and, and he made us pay some. You know, that, yeah, I think that becomes the, the, the closest litmus test for um, talent wise, what we've seen. And, and, you know, we didn't do a great job against them in the sense of uh, they won a lot of 50 50 balls, and, and we didn't do a great job on the perimeter against them. So um, it, it is what it is. I think, you know, sometimes we, overanalyze exactly what the X's and O's are. It's still going to come down to uh, how well our guys can win some one-on-one matchups, whether or not it's an edge guy on a, on a tackle uh, or whether or not your corner can hold up in pass coverage or, you know, whether or not your safety bites when he's supposed to be sinking or whatever the case is. So uh, whatever Blake does, I have a feeling he'll find something new on third down this year. Last year it was kind of that flavor of that overload front that he started using um, toward the middle of the year that was so good for him. Um, I'm interested to see what he does this week because, you know, he'll build off of something that he really likes and it'll be a plan uh, really throughout the, the year for us. You look at what Brett said too, um, that's a really good point. Um, the sim pressures, because you've got a really good quarterback who much like Holton can look at the structure of the defense and starts thinking pre-snap, where are my hots? Where am I going? And if they, if, if we're able, if, if Blake's real heavy early on with bringing Stringer and bringing some heat, you know, Jaira Wilson, Tegan Wilkes, and all these guys are just running like wild on on second and third, second and long, third and long. Uh, if we can get him to start thinking, okay, I'm going to my hot as soon as I catch this snap, the ball's in my hands and I'm going. And all of a sudden, Jeremy Lewis is dropping in the flat. He might throw one right into Jeremy Lewis. I mean, that's just the kind of thing. You, you have to know that he's going to be on a, a time clock and he realizes that and he gets the ball out so fast. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the chess match is going to be exactly what uh, Brett said as well is, is every week it seemed to be uh, Blake Carroll had some other, uh, what I call zoo blitz. It's just a bunch of different animals coming from different places. You just know which cage you're coming out of. Um, so it's fun to watch because it allows the guys to play fast and be super aggressive. But you are still susceptible of the big play, whether it's a leaking back who gets free and he gets the ball out to him or, 
you know, you, you got man coverage and you put somebody on an island. And that to me is one of the biggest keys is who's opposite of Malik Fleming and can Malik hold his own and that the, that combination of corners, uh, you know, do somewhat what Jaquan did for three years for us. All right, guys, we could talk about these X's and O's all night, but I don't want to keep you off forever. So let's go a roundtable discussion here. One big key to an East Carolina victory. Uh, Jason, we'll start with you. If there's one thing ECU's got to do on Saturday to have a chance at the upset, what is it? So it always sticks to the script the four things, and it's, the, it's really the Bible of coaching and telling your team how to win the game. It's, there's four key elements, in my opinion, but I'm just going to stick with uh, the theme for me is going to be win, as Brett said, win first down on defense. Win that first, make first down the money down, and then make third down the big money down. If we can do that, we've got a chance to get off the field and you know give our offense a chance to you know move the chains, convert, move the ball down the field a little bit. Even if we have to punt some time, that's okay. Just do not allow Devin Leary and their wide receivers to start carving us up. Brett, uh, you got a, a big key to victory. Yeah, it, I, I'm gonna get around to what I'm gonna say. That Jason and I both had the privilege and the whatever you want to call it of the chair known as head football coach. Okay, and my father was a was a terrific high school football coach, won over 200 games. And he said, Brett, when you come to think of it, is is like your offensive staff thinks about this all week: how to move the football, how to score points, yada yada yada, red zone. Defense, you think about whatever, this is what you're going to do to unbalance, empty, whatever the case is, special teams, every, everyone's got their little niche on each side of the ball. But when it comes down to being a head football coach, he said, you got to think about five things. You got to look at a roster and you got to look at the video and you got to make a determine whether or not it's a 50 50 game, meaning you both got about the same players and whoever wins the most, you can really play your game and whoever executes better is going to win. Then you have games where the other team's just so much better, you got no choice, and I've coached in them, or you got no chance, I've coached in them. Then you got some that you're a lot better and you got no chance to lose. But then you got games where you're maybe a little bit better, but you still got to play your B game to win. And I think that's what State's thinking right now. We got to play good enough, um, but our B game's good enough to beat them. And I think. Conversely, East Carolina's in a situation where we got to play our A game and State's got to play their B game to give East Carolina a chance. And what that means is a couple of things. Number one, in season openers, more games are lost than they are won. Okay. I think East Carolina needs to score on defense or I think they need to score on special teams or at least get a short field. All right. So score a touchdown as a result of a monumental breakdown on State's end or somebody making just a great play because you're essentially stealing points at that point. But from a tangible standpoint, I, I hate to say this because if anybody's followed me over the course of the last three years, I'm such a, a backer of, uh, or I guess I'm just not a guy who goes by the typical message board fodder of play calling being that big of a deal and so on and so on. But I think it's a game where you just got to come out aggressive and you got to throw the football early and often and you got to try and loosen up those edges. And the game, you got to think of this game backwards. I think this is a game where we're going to have to throw it and we're going to try and have to run the football in a sense of how Lincoln used to try and run the football, which was open up gaps in the middle with the draw game or. Uh, you know, kind of think backwards with quarterback reads. And still at the end of the day, you look up and you've got 130, 140 rushing yards 
but you're getting it because you've got the defense so spread out. You've got them thinking about defending underneath zones and over the top zones, uh, as opposed to being able to pin their ear back, pin their ears back and stop the run because this is just not a game that you're going to win the way Mike Houston wants to win offensively, which is running the football and play action based. I just, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the method for this game. I think it's a very good proven method over time, but I think it's just a, I think it's a night where, or an afternoon where we're going to have to throw the football efficiently and effectively in early downs um, and, and loosen up that, that stout defense. Hey, I go. Didn't you ask him for one thing? Yeah. Yeah, you know Brad. He can get a little long-winded. It ain't gonna. It ain't, you want simple answers. You want simple answers to to complex questions, and that's what Coach Houston's thinking this week. You know, your dad is exactly right, and that's why he's such a darn good football coach because it, it is a matter of, of of the math of the roster and what you can do with your roster and what you cannot do and how you can affect their roster the most so it, it, it brett hit all the nails on the head well i mean let's be real there's a lot more than one key to victory and so i mean it's it's going to take all of our keys to victory and then some probably for ec to pull it out you know for me it's it's who's going to step out step up in the receiving game somebody has to do it i don't know if it's going to be ryan jones who gets the favorable matchups at some point in the game or cj johnson moving inside is it going to have to be isaiah winstead and i'll tell you what i feel like if if nc state you know if you're nc state you probably approach this game knowing that isaiah winstead is capable of beating you maybe it's a guy like jalen johnson from georgia who really we haven't talked about a ton but is going to be in the starting lineup Maybe he makes a big catch or two. Somebody has to step up on the perimeter, make a one-on-one play like we talked about. If you're going to throw the ball early, somebody's got to step up and make those plays. And, we'll, you know, who's that going to be? I don't know. I mean, that's just the, the, the unknown going into the season opener. All right, guys, it's prediction time. Y'all are coaches, so y'all hate predictions. I don't even like predictions, and I'm a, I'm a full-time media member. So, um Brett, I know you've already given your your prediction with your heart and your head and, and your VIP post. Has that changed at all? Or are you still rolling with that? No, I I think State's just got a better team right now. I, I don't think it's a situation where there's no shot. I know the method of how to win the game. You know, which I you know we've mentioned we've gone around and around. I mean, got to play great on defense. Got to get them in bad spots. Got to. Uh, be aggressive offensively and got to score on special teams or defense. And and when you, if you look up at three thirty and those things have happened, I'm not going to be surprised if East Carolina wins the football game. But uh, you know, state's the better state's got a better roster right now, and, and that that's not disparaging our guys or anything. They're just I, I, it, if they play well, they're going to win. Uh, if they don't, they they can't play bad and win. But uh, I've got – I think State wins 34-27, something like that. We've got to get 28 points to have a chance. I believe that. Yeah, I've got I've got NC State winning by a touchdown 31-24. I think it's a four-quarter game. I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think the crowd's going to be electric. Um, Jason, are you going to roll with us or are you going to be the, the true pirate here and pick an ECU victory? So uh, I like the theme of heart and head. So I'm, I'm, leave, I'm going to leave with my heart first. And, you know, I look at the four pillars that, that I've always lived by as far as here's how you, here's how you give yourself the best chance to win a game. And that's have a, have a large uh, 
disparage in, 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 in as far as turnovers. Be, if, if, if there's three fumbles in the game that are recovered, you, you recover two of them, they recover one, for example. Um, and be really good in red zone on both sides of the ball. Really good. So get them off the field, make them kick field goals, threes or minus fours, a.k.a. Steve Logan, right? Um, with my heart, I'd say it, it's it's 30-27 uh, ECU. I think it's going to be a weird game with a couple of field goals from our buddy from uh, Wilmington, New Hanover High School. My head says it's 34-21 Wolfpack. And I hate to say that, but uh, I think I'm going to leave with 34-21 because I always like to have that psychological Jedi mind trick going on. And for all the uh, uh, folks from NC State who are coming to tailgate with us, I'm going to I'm going to play it up even worse. I think they, they, they're thinking I'm thinking 42-14. So they're all excited and cocky about it. But, like Brett said, it's going to be feast or famine on Saturday. And if we come out and lay an egg, it could get ugly. To come out and play like we're capable of and you know play with that passion and the, the crowd gets behind it does our part it could get really interesting it could be a fun uh post-game tailgate for everybody i do wonder like how much and this is another theme that i don't know if you've hit on during the week but like how much self-actualization or uh studying has there been with how poorly we've played in openers in the mike houston era we didn't play well in charlotte last year we the COVID year kind of is what it is. And then the state, the first year against state, you know, they were just totally overwhelmed. But, you know, what happened last year in Charlotte that that we've tried to rectify uh, in our preparation over the course of the last two weeks, and now it's apples and oranges going from a big neutral site in-state game to, to playing at home. But, you know, sometimes you worry about, is this the biggest home opener in East Carolina football history? You know, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head that's been bigger. And, uh, you know, the fine line between being hyper-focused and just being uh, too geeked up is, is is a real issue that I think we've got to – we got to – Coach Houston's got to make sure that our kids are on top of as, as we go throughout final preparations here uh, Thursday, Friday, and, of course, Saturday morning. Yeah, we – you know, I asked them in the off season about starting slow and, you know – I don't know. I don't think he loved the question, but the reality is too that they were a they were young and they've started against really good teams. I mean, NC State uh, probably wasn't really that good that year, but still in a pretty experienced team. And that was you know that ECU program at that point was not where it needed to be. UCF was what a top fifteen team, top twenty team at that point. Um, and then last year, App State was just a more experienced team. And and Coach Houston said that he. He felt the guys did not handle that environment well, and he felt that they did not handle handle the hype well. And I think that is something Holton Aylers touched on it as well that they almost made too big of a deal about that game going into it. And yeah, they're excited about this game, but I think there is a comfort to playing at home. And we have hit on the the notion of you got to feed off your crowd, but you can't let the situation kind of overtake you. Uh, and that's something I think Coach Houston has hit on too. And but they can hit on it. You guys know they can talk about it. Uh, Coach Houston had rat poison written on the team uh, team meeting board today for the post game press conference, or, or uh, in the team room during our press conference, saying to his team to ignore the noise. But you know the guys are they're wrapped up in it. They're always on their phones. So who knows come game day how they'll handle it. And uh, you know it could be a positive, could be a negative. We'll just have to wait and see. But one thing is for sure. With all of us picking against ECU, Coach Houston can use this as his latest, uh, his locker room uh, 
you know, message to the team that three ECU co-hosts on the podcast for Hoisty Colors have picked NC State to win. So uh, we've given them all the fuel they, they need. Oh, you know, old Pirates by 10, let's go. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny what you said, Brett, was really true. And I look back at the last three-year openers, uh, NC State was – we were overwhelmed. Our roster was not – we looked like an FCS team in a, a middle-of-pack FCS team. Against UCF, I thought we played on our toes a little bit. I thought we came after them pretty well. We had a couple of big drops and a couple of fumbles on after the catch, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends that really put us behind in that game. And I thought we had a chance there early on, even though they were more talented. Against App, we looked flat-footed a little bit of the time. And we looked flat-footed against South Carolina. We looked afraid to take the shot and go yeah. go do what we needed to do to execute and play fast. And then, it, then you saw it flip. I saw it flip in the third quarter of the Marshall game. I thought I saw our team. They did the body language on the sidelines changed, and from that point on, you know, even going into the Cincinnati game, I felt good about our, our ball club. So, you know, hopefully, come out on on Saturday and play loose, play fast, have fun, be really physical, and and let the chips fall where they may. And you know, again, I'm going to say this again. Hopefully, everybody's listening. We as fans, we play a part in that. We really do. And so, you know, hopefully everybody shows up and has their purple and gold on and supports the team and supports Coach Houston and helps us continue to build that culture. And let's have a hell of a win on Saturday. Well, fellas, it's been real. I think we could go all night. I'm excited about Saturday. Coach Houston said uh, in his first preseason there would come a day where Daddy Ficklin was rocking and heaven help whoever comes in there maybe that day is saturday uh it looks like it could be a sellout but at least high 40s uh but guys enjoyed it and we'll do this again at some point during the season and who knows maybe we'll be recapping a uh a major win this time or i guess come sunday night or monday morning i mean who who knows it's going to be a fun weekend either way no doubt go pirates go pirates all right guys that'll do it for the hoist the colors podcast and we will be back with you after the game We'll see if the Pirates start the season 1-0 or 0-1. Thank you guys for listening.